Good morning, everyone. I uh, welcome you back to our first Sunday of uh, Camp Slyker and to Bible study. I want to just very briefly introduce our speaker. I'm so thankful to, for Dr. John Juman. Uh, John has come to us from Hollerock. He, he, he was fresh out of Hollerock yesterday and, and came last night, and I'm so excited that he is here, and he'll be taking us through uh, the rest of our Bible study this year. I'm assuming since I taught on 2 John that 1 John will now teach on Matthew, but that's not the case. I thought he would return the favor, but uh, he, he'll be teaching on uh, 2 Timothy, and so thankful for that. If you've been reading the devotions that are sent out uh, by our, our camp secretary, John has been leading us through some of that discussion on 2 Timothy. So, John, turn it over to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we are so thankful to be with you. Uh, we love Camp Syker. My family loves Camp Syker. Um, we are so deeply sorry for uh, Dr. Donjal. I'm sure that's already been expressed, and uh, our prayers are with him uh, in these days. Um, so thank you for, for being here um, in this time, and uh, thank you. I, I think we should have just let our camp president just continue the Bible study, don't you think? We should have just let him keep on, keep on rolling. I'm really excited for our workers this year, uh, Ron Brendel and uh, for Steve and Bert. Just uh, so excited about these great men and uh, their sharing of the word and looking forward to that. Um, I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy. Go ahead and do that. Uh, we're going to, uh, as uh, Matt said, if you've been reading our monthly devotionals, um, this is going to be um, the expanded version of that. Um, by the way, we have notes up here. Um, if anybody has just come in and you need a copy, Rosa might help me here, and, or Steve. And uh, if uh, anybody needs a copy of the notes, uh, also, they are available on the uh, Psyker website or the Psyker Facebook page. There is the PDF version that you could print out for yourself or just, or just ha read electronically as well. Also, um, while they're passing those out, um, along with the material, um, the, the book... The book form of this material just came off the printer um, a couple weeks ago, and uh, so I have, uh, I have a quantity of those with me, and if you uh, are interested in a copy of the book, uh, please see me. Um, we may, may or may not be able to have a table uh, out here sometime this week with all of our books, um, but for sure in the mornings I'll have these available. Um, I might ask that today, if, if you're only able to be here today, Please see me afterwards so we can make sure if you're interested in a book. Um, otherwise, we will have them uh, throughout the week. And again, this is everything we're talking about. It's just the, it's the written out form of it. It'll soon be on Kindle as well. Uh, within the next couple weeks, it'll be on Kindle on uh, Amazon.com. All, all the books we do on a donation basis. So anything, if you want to donate anything, thank you, Steve, again. If you want to donate anything towards the book, um, that just goes into our into our book fund. Uh, just, if I may take a personal privilege, I um, hope this is okay. Um, it's a really special privilege uh, for me to have my son here today. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he, uh, uh, he traveled with me for, for seven years, and uh, so I'll share more about that later in the week, but uh, so it's wonderful to have him here with me. Um, Trina will be here on Wednesday. Um, she had to fly home to work. Can you imagine that? And uh, so, but she'll fly back up on Wednesday, 
And then um, hopefully, as, as if plans are uh, follow through, uh, Kylie and Michael and baby Charlotte will be here uh, next weekend. And so we're really looking forward to that. Uh, did I mention I'm a grandfather? No, did I mention that? So <laughs> it's uh, wonderful. Um, so I invite you to 2 Timothy. So uh, you, uh, if you've been reading devotionals, uh, you may be familiar with this letter um, that uh, this is uh, Paul's final words. Um, this, this letter is really different than the first letter. Paul obviously wrote two letters to Timothy. And the first letter is very much a, uh, a guide to pastoring. Um, there's a lot of theology. There's a lot of um, guidelines for just what to do as a pastor, things like that, um, how to address different issues in the church. This letter, second letter, completely different, completely different. Um, it, is, it is very different in nature. It is not a doctrinal letter. Like, like probably 2 Timothy is unique among all Paul's 13 letters that he wrote. There's probably none other like it. Well, maybe Philemon a little bit in that it's, it's very personal. It's just strictly like father to son. It's kind of like um, uh, the way I think of it is last words. You may be aware that this is the last words we have from Paul on this earth. We don't know if possibly he wrote other letters, but this is the last one of his writings that was included in the canon of Scripture considered to be inspired by God. So this, as far as we know, and nobody can say differently, really, this is the last words we have from him. So if you think about last words, it would be, this is the way I think about that. Um, if I knew that I only had a short time left, if I knew that uh, I got a bad diagnosis, let's say, and I knew that I only had a short time left on this earth, who would I want to talk to and what would I want to say with my last words? And if you can feel that with me this morning, that's the tone and atmosphere of this letter. It's very, it's very heart stuff. Very, very heart stuff. I compare it to a father taking his son by the shoulders, looking him in the eye, and saying, I want you to hear this from my heart. Now, they were about a thousand miles apart at this point geographically. Paul's um, in Rome and Timothy's in Ephesus. But spiritually heartfelt, it's father taking him by the shoulders, looking him straight in the eye and saying, I want you to, want you to hear my heart for you before I go to heaven. Um, so he's really discipling him even through the letter. So when we get to, and there's some themes we'll explore, when we get to chapter 3 and, and where we're looking at in this week, in these morning studies, and by the way, we will, uh, we will be here now for the rest, uh, now through next Sunday, we'll be here every morning uh, in this same study in these two chapters at 9.30, with the exception of Tuesday, which is Missionary Day, and I urge you, I urge you, to come on Tuesday morning at this time because we will hear one of the finest missionary speakers that we have in the holiness movement. Brandon Kuba will be here um, speaking in this spot on Tuesday morning at this time, so I, I urge you to come for that. But um, so in, when you get into chapter 3 and 4 now, part of the discipling as Paul's getting ready to go to heaven is a warning. He's warning him. And you can see the launch of the warning in verse 3. 
Um, chapter 3, verse 1, I apologize. Chapter 3, verse 1. He says this, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. So, son, okay, remember, last words. want to warn you about some dangers that are going to threaten your life and the church. Because Timothy is a pastor. The whole tone, of the, the whole theme of this letter is, is we call the book Torchbearers. Paul is passing the torch to Timothy. Timothy, you're going to be called to, now I'm going to heaven, so now it's your turn to carry the torch and to pass. And by the way, that's our call. That's why we're here, amen? That's why we have Camp Syker is so that the torch of the truth and the message can be passed on to the next generations, right? We're, we're not just here for us, are we, this morning, beloved, right? This isn't about us. This isn't, it isn't about us, the saints, which is, there's a lot of, that, as they say, that'll preach in a holiness camp meeting, right? It's not about us. It's not about my preferences. It's not about me and my comfort and I like and this is what I, this is what I prefer in camp meeting. It's about, Lord Jesus, how can you pass the torch through us to the next generation? So whatever, whatever, however that needs to happen, we're for it. Amen. So, Timothy, you're, you're going to be carrying this torch. So I want you to be aware of some things. I'm not going to be here to point them out to you, so I want you to be aware of these things. So he says, perilous times will come. So there's going to be some dangers in Timothy's day to him and the church spiritually. And by the way, I, I, I think we're there today as well. I think, I, I think we can safely say perilous times have come today to the church. Do you think so? We are in, there, there's no sugarcoating this, we are indeed in perilous times in, in the church, in, at least in America, in these days. And that's not gloom and doom, that's, that's not, because what he says in chapter 1, verse 7, is God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, right? So it's not that we tremble and we're afraid, but it's that we as the believers and we as the church need to be more alert and aware than we ever have been before. So that's what he's doing, right? This alert, this awareness, this watch out, this be on guard kind of a thing. Hey, wake up kind of a thing. So what he does in verses 2 to 5 is he starts to give him more details about the warning. Now, I don't know if you, <laughs> I don't know if anybody had a mother that gave you a lot of details when they cautioned you about something. Did anybody? Anybody, did anybody have a mom that when, like when I was growing up, and, I, and Carrie knows this, this is a grandma. So when, when I would be going out, out or I was going to do something, my mom would give me a, a, a checklist of things to do and not do. Did anybody have a checklist? Make sure you this, 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 and make sure you don't. This, 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 right? And I, I pretty much, I can, if you want to know what they are, I can tell you afterwards because I still haven't memorized it, right? Now, the reason for the detail is because of concern, right? It's not like just to be, it's concern. I want you to be safe. And so the warning now gives details. So let's read the details. Verses, verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, 
headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, Trina calls me detail man. I get focused on details. If I counted right, there's 19 things there. There's 19 things in that list to watch out for. My tendency, as you may know, would be to take one lesson on each of those. (laughs) But I don't really think that's Paul's intent here for a couple reasons. Number one, it would be overwhelming. Can you imagine having 19 things to watch out for in your life? Now, my mom gave me about 10. (laughs) I don't know. But if you had 19 things, it's kind of like playing golf. Golf is a really... uh, a frustrating sport because you have to do about 19 things right at the same time to hit the ball straight, right? Imagine having like 19 things to watch out for. And so I don't think that was Paul's intent to, because that would be overwhelming to Timothy. But I think what these things are are warning signs of a deeper issue. These are just the warning signs to watch out for. So when you see these, just be alerted that they are telling you that there's a problem underneath. But don't get fixated on the warning signs. Just let the warning signs tell you there's a problem. Does that make sense? Now, you may know that I was called to preach when I was 17 um, at the end of high school. My last semester of high school, I was saved in January and called to preach in February. I was a senior. I have often told the Lord, I wish... I would have listened sooner or known sooner because if I would have known, I would have taken auto shop in high school instead of advanced biology. I I, I won't say it will never happen, but I have yet to find a use for frog dissection in ministry. (laughs) But (laughs) I wish I could fix a car. (laughs) I wish that I had some mechanical skills, which it kind of skipped a generation. My dad's very mechanical, Carrie's very mechanical, it, it missed a generation. So I wish I had mechanical skills, but I don't. But what I do know how to do is watch dashboard lights. You know, you know those cool dashboard lights on your vehicle? I have a Honda Odyssey, and, you know, you have these beautiful dashboard warning lights, and I'm so good at watching the dashboard lights. I can immediately, I'm always looking at the dash, if that, you know, check engine, if the tire pressure monitor system comes on, anything. I, I'm very good at watching my problem is I'm, I'm so OCD, I can get really fixated on those and then be a risky driver. Right? Because the purpose of the dashboard lights on my vehicle is not to stare at the dashboard lights. The purpose of the dashboard lights is to tell me, ding, 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 there's a problem. Right? So go to the mechanic and fix the problem instead of being obsessed with the symptoms and the lights. Does that make sense? See see where I'm going with this? They're only there to tell you about an underlying problem. I mean, the easiest thing for me to do is to drive down to my mechanics called Pew's Five Star Automotive. I can drive down to Pew's Five Star Automotive and say, guy, they, they do this thing, they plug it, see how little I know. They can plug this thing in and then they can make the lights go off and I'm saying, that, that's great, no more lights. But don't be fixated on lights. Be fixated on the problem underneath. You see where I am? Now, you understand that's what our world is doing in these days. Our world right now in our culture is fixated on the dashboard lights. Our world right now in our culture 
is fixated on the surface issues. Okay, and by the way, we have a lot of those in our culture. We have, we have a few surface issues. We have a few issues in our society, in humanity. Amen? Don't we have some? We have a whole bunch of them. We have problems. We have issues and relationship issues and problems getting along, and we have various issues in our society. But here's what's happening right now. Our world, and you see this in politics, you see it in social uh, forums, all the time we are very much into we've got to do this about this issue, right? You with me? We've got to fix this issue. That's the equivalent of just fixing the dashboard light. What our world is ignoring, chooses to ignore or is ignorant of is those lights, those issues in our society are merely telling us there's a deeper problem. Amen? Y'all with me on this? So what's the deeper problem? I believe, and, and many commentators believe, that the first item in the list in verse 2 is the core issue. That's the, the core of the rest of them. What's, what's he saying in verse 2? What's the very first one? For men will be, what? Lovers of themselves. What's another term for that? Self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is the problem of humanity, is it not? Ever since the fall, we've had a problem. And it's not the surface issues. It's not the problem isn't that, you know, I, we've got a conflict in our marriage or we've got a conflict between two people or we, we can't get along in the church or whatever. And if we just, that's not the problem. The problem is that that plagues humanity ever since the fall is the sin nature, which the whole character of the sin nature is self-centeredness. Amen. This is what Martin Luther and John Wesley both said. Men, and, and the, I, I can't pronounce the Latin term very correctly, but sin is man turned in upon himself. It's the me, me, me mentality, right? And we all have it. We were all born with it, right? Everybody here, everybody, do you remember in the delivery room? Remember when you were born in the delivery room? You had it too. I cried bitter tears in the delivery room. Why? Because I was so sorrowful for what I just did to my mom. I, so I, I felt her pain, I, and I just couldn't help but cry. No, why did I cry? For me, right? And why did I cry every day after that? For me, I'm uncomfortable, I'm cold, I'm wet, I'm hungry, I want to be held, me, me. And, and then the older you get, it just becomes bigger, right? Me, me, me. And so in a world that has all these issues on the surface, they're all just stemming from that one core problem, right? We don't have a bunch of problems in our culture. We only have one, amen? And our world's ignoring that. We're, we, get fixed, we get fixated on the issues, but sometimes in the church too, right? Sometimes in the church Sometimes in the church, we're getting our eye off the ball, and sometimes in the church, we're getting distracted from that truth that there's only one problem. I don't know if any old-timers remember the cartoon Pogo. I don't know. There's this little cartoon guy named Pogo, and Pogo comes in, and one day he says, we have found the enemy, and it is us. <laughs> and sometimes in the church, we're getting swept into the mentality of what the world says instead of what the Scripture says. But the problem is, Self-centeredness. It's us. We are the problem. Self-centeredness. Sin, nature, self-centeredness at the root. 
Now, there's two approaches to this. And I, I think what Paul does in uh, kind of the rest of those verses into verse 5 is he's painting a picture for Timothy just so Timothy could be aware. Okay, be aware. Perilous times will come. Be aware. Watch out for this. Okay, self-centeredness. He's painting a picture of this is the approach the world takes to that problem versus the approach that the kingdom takes to this problem. Vastly different, right? Vastly different. The world's approach to the problem versus Jesus' approach to the problem. So what's the world's approach? I think verse 5 kind of states that. He says this in verse 5, and it's the... uh, Verse 5, the last item in the list, some commentators believe, summarizes the approach. The first item summarizes the problem. The last item summarizes the world's approach. And he says this, having a form of godliness but denying its power. There's two parts there. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. So having a form of godliness, and let's do a little Greek study here. I think in your notes, if you have that, whether you printed it or, or have the printed copy, let's do a little Greek study here. The root word from which this word form comes, let's look at this phrase by phrase here, form of godliness, first of all, form of godliness. The Greek word for form, as you probably heard it before, is morphe. Anybody ever heard of that before? Like morph. Like in English, we talk about morphine or like uh, metamorphosis means to change forms, the form or the shape of something. So if you put that in a, in a verb form, that's a noun, if you put it in a verb form, you have morpho, which means to form or give shape. Everybody getting excited? Yeah, you guys like this? Hanky's waving, okay. And then if you turn that verb back into a noun, what you have is morphosis. That's the word we have here in 2 Timothy 3, 5. Having a form, having a morphosis of godliness. And the word morphosis describes the act of forming or shaping something, the process of making something. So the word that came to my mind was the idea of a craft, crafting something crafting making or forming something so i think what paul seems to be talking about here is what the world tries to do is the process of making forming crafting our godliness like as if godliness is something that we can put together we can make things right you hear this in popular songs you hear it in culture we can make it right. We can do it. We know, we've got the know-how. And, and we can just envision and we can put together a plan and a program and a process. And if you'll just leave it to us, do you hear the arrogance in that, by the way? If you just leave it to us and follow our plan, we'll make it right. We'll get all the dashboard lights turned off and it'll all look good. <laughs> A form of godliness. Now, you know, um, if, if you're into creativity, there's a lot of forms of creativity. And by the way, that's not a bad thing, right? God gave us, we're made in God's image, so God made us a create in his image as creative beings. So there's a lot of creativity. Anybody create, into creativity in your life? 
Some people are woodworkers, or uh, some people are interior decorators, or landscapers, or some people can draw, some people can write, some people can play music. This is all creative stuff. And you know how it is when you're into your creating. Have you ever gotten so into it like you, you just really get into it and you skip meals and you're just really into your creativity? It's not a bad thing. What's kind of happening in our culture a lot right now, and I'm spotting it sometimes in church, is even this, we're really into this crafting our godliness. We can make it. We can form it. We can think it up. We can dream it. Our godliness. Having a form of godliness. You say, no, you're almost making it sound like being creative is bad. Well, again, it's not. The word make or create is used like 2,600 times in the Old Testament. So definitely we're created in God's image and created. But the problem is the second part of the phrase. Having a form of godliness, creating our own, but what? Denying its power. Now in the scripture, power is what only God can do. By the way, this morning, we need the power of God, don't we? In this camp, today, in this In these services today, there is no question we need the power of God. Uh, Church family this morning, there's nothing we can do apart from God's power. We as human beings can tinker. We as human beings can kind of nibble. We can kind of kind of do stuff. But you know what? It really amounts to nothing without the power of God. And this is what Paul talks about in, in this letter. He, when, he, when he said back in chapter 1, verse 7, that, that God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. In other words, power, when, when it says they denied its power, in other words, it's denying God. It's denying what only he can do. And the word deny there literally means to refuse or to decline, kind of like a, a no thank you God kind of a thing. So I, I don't know if you can hear the attitude in this. Listen, we know there's a problem. We, we know things aren't just right, but Instead of looking to God and what he can do and having God move in us and God go to the roots and God change us and God do something, it's like, we're, no, thank you, God. No, we, we've got this. <laughs> we got this, God. We got it. Just listen to our plan. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. If you follow our plan, our program, our ideas, our approach, our method, we can form this godliness. So instead of the real thing, we're opting for what we can do instead. Pursuing this godliness. And, and again, it, it, the, the world knows there's a problem. The, the, world, the world knows that the fact that, uh, that we're even trying anything says that we know something's not right. But instead of fully depending on God, humble before God, we'll do it ourselves. Now, that has always been the downfall of humanity, hasn't it? Ever since the beginning, if you want to turn back to Genesis with me, ever since the beginning, humanity, the downfall of humanity has been when we tried to make something apart from God. Instead of saying, you're Lord, you know what's best, we're going to trust you, we're going to rely on you, we're going to surrender ourselves to you, we're going to follow what you say, It's like, no, no, thank you, God. We've got this. Watch what we can do. If you look back to Genesis 11, for example, you you know this from Sunday school and from children's church. The Tower of Babel. 
And listen, listen to what they actually said at the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 11 and verse 3. They said to each other, hear the wording, Genesis eleven three, 3, come, let's, what, make <laughs> bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. You understand building's not a bad thing? I mean, thank God for buildings, right? This is an amazing structure. But to hear the wording there, come let us, us, who's going to do the building? Us, will build for ourselves. Do you, do you get the picture of that's what the world tries to do? No, thank you, God. We will build for ourselves. We will figure out for ourselves. We will, we will plan and program and figure it out for ourselves. That's the problem. Now, the same kind of wording is in Exodus chapter 32, which you are probably well familiar with at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai to get the law from the Lord God, and uh, uh, there's this terrible thing that happens, this awful thing that happens in, in Exodus 32, terrible, awful thing. The awful thing that happens is God's taking too long. Amen. Don't you get mad at that? Is that frustrating? God is just taking too long. And it says, when the people saw that Moses was so long coming down the mountain. You ever get frustrated with that? God's timing. God, why are you taking so long? So what's the people's response in Exodus 32, verse 1? They gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us God. So God, you're taking too long. You're not doing what we need you to do. You're not figuring this out fast enough. So we're going to make it on our own. See what I'm saying this, evening, this morning? having a form of godliness but denying its power. And there is a problem trying to make something ourselves instead of going to the real source. It's the equivalent of just get down to the mechanic, get those dashboard lights turned off, never mind that there's a deeper problem, never mind that there's something you want to do in us that only you can do, We'll go get this just fixed and looking better. And... Which ends up that the world ends up being just very appearance-driven, right? Is, is our world appearance-driven? Yes. You think, think we're appearance-driven? Anybody think we're appearance-driven? We're appearance-driven. So forget about the deeper stuff. We don't... See, it's so much easier to go down to Pew's five-star automotive... Guys, just plug in that little thingy. It's a five-minute deal. Plug in the little thingy. I pay you 10 bucks or whatever it is they charge for that little just five-minute thing. Plug it in. Get them turned off. Whew, that looks much better. Never mind that they're trying to tell me there's a deeper issue. <laughs> and our world is so appearance-driven. As long as it looks good, as long as everything is smooth on the surface, don't worry about anything underneath. Just smooth it over. Is that, that's what we do, right? Smooth it over, tinker, fix, brief repairs, 10-minute deal. Don't worry about deeper stuff. Appearance-driven. Anybody think social media is appearance-driven? 
Social media is all about appearance-driven oftentimes. Now, there's godly uses for it with the fellowship and have a psyker page and we get to keep in touch and, and, and post things and share and there's godly uses for it. But what, is, what happens so often on social media is appearance-driven, right? I, I put on there what I want people to see. I don't, I don't put on there the stuff that I don't want people to see. I put on there the stuff that, well, some people put on there stuff you don't want to see. But anyway, I put on there stuff that... Uh, that uh, and by the way, thanks for showing me your meal on there too. Anyway, so, uh, so, anyway, so I, I put on the stuff I want people to see. And I don't, I, don't put the, I don't put my worst photos. I look at all my photos all, and I put on my best one, not my worst one. I put on my best one. I want it to, you know, as parents, I want, to, I want it to look. I put on the things that put me in a good light. I, I put on the things that will get the most. Nice dashboard. <laughs> nice dashboard, John. Good-looking dashboard. And sometimes as the church, we get, as Christians, as a church, we even get swept into that, right, as churches? Sometimes even in the church, we can be appearance-driven, right? Sometimes in the church, we can become dashboard watchers in the church. There's an old joke. I'm, I may be the only Nazarene here, but there's this old joke. I think Claude, too. But uh, There's this old joke. Claude probably knows. Um, in the church of the Nazarene, we have this. We as Nazarenes like to count nickels and noses. I forgot Dale, too. Nickels, offerings, noses, people. We're very, we're very into nickels and how many did you have? How big is your church? We're very much into nickel appearances. Now, never mind that there's all kinds of stuff happening down under the surface and there's all kinds of junk. And If it looks good on the surface, we're good. <laughs> right? As long as things look nice, fix those dashboard lights, get those things lit, get everything looking good so we can keep on trucking down the road and never mind that there's a catastrophic failure happening at the core or underneath. As long as we can keep everything trucking and looking good on the surface, we're good. Nice dashboard, church. And sometimes we can be very appearance-driven in church. And sometimes I can be very appearance-driven. Could we... I'm going to speak this to you just as, as a person that loves Psyker and uh, I'm among you. I'll ask you this again at the end. Could we agree in this camp meeting to renounce appearance-driven mentality and say, Jesus, we invite you to do a deeper work in us this week, no matter how it may appear we're not going to be into appearance, you know, because, well, let, let, can I, is it okay to just speak honestly to this group, since I love y'all? The temptation in a meeting like this where we know each other and, you know, family and we're so familiar is, I don't want anybody to think poorly of me. And so oftentimes what happens is we can be hesitant to respond to the Lord this week. And sometimes altar services can be tough because the mentality of the world says, what about the appearance? And what if we could renounce that and kind of kick that to the curb this week, like even today, and say, Jesus, 
I don't care about appearance. I care what you want to do in my life today, no matter how that may appear to everybody. Are you with me on that? Wouldn't it be something if we could say, no, not appearances, but Lord, and I'm talking to myself today. You know, because when you're, you know, you're, you're supposed to, you know, have a certain appearance. So that's the world's approach to the problem. The kingdom is a whole different approach. Let me try to finish this quickly. There are three points that are themes through the letter that show you God's approach to the problem of the core thing about self. Just briefly, number one is that God doesn't do just an external work. Praise God that he does, amen. Praise God that he can forgive us. <laughs> Anybody glad you're forgiven? Anybody glad for second chance? When I was set in 1985 in January, when God spared me from that wreck and he gave me a second chance, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to this day for a second chance that God forgave me and he does an external work. But praise God even more that he can do an internal work. And all throughout this letter is this idea of the internal. If you go back to chapter 1 in verses 5 and 6, notice how many times he says the word in. In, in, in. Verse, verse, uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 5. I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. And I think in the Greek it says, in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded it is in you also. And then verse 6. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. And then verse 14. He says, the good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in, 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 in. God wants to not only do work out here, here. He wants to do work in here. Amen? The internal work. A sanctified work. That's, that's, why, that's why in chapter 1, verse 3 and 5, Paul talks about a pure conscience. And in verse 5, he says, Timothy, your family has a genuine faith. You know what that word genuine means? Basically, what you see is what you get. No double life, no, hey, you're this way over here, you're this way over here. Oh, you're with them, you're this way, you're with them, you're this way. No, there's not two lives. You're not an actor. You're a genuine, what you see, transparent is what you get. I want to have that in my life, amen? What I am here, I want to be at home. What I am here is what I want to be in my cabin. What I'm here is what I want to be in the hotel room when I'm by myself. When I'm here, a what you see is what you get. Do you believe Jesus can do that in our lives? Can Jesus Christ really, by his sanctifying power, really make us the genuine article? Can God's people be the genuine thing? Consistent wherever we are? Now, I know we're still growing. I'll talk to you about that later. We're all still in process, amen? But increasingly, this genuine, what he says in chapter 2, verse 21, a vessel of honor sanctified and useful for the master. Now, that, that'll preach in a holiness camp, right? <laughs> That's the sanctifying power of God, that he can truly do a work in us that makes us the real deal inside and out. Now, how does he do that? The word. Secondly, there's so much emphasis in this letter, and we'll go into that more later in the week, about the truth of the word. The, the word, the word, the word. You want, you want that deeper work in my life? Do I, do I really want to be the genuine article? Do I want to be... This inside out? Do I want God to make it a genuine faith? Do I want God to really make me a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master? That it's his word that does that in me. Jesus said in John 17, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You want to be more sanctified? Be more into the word. 
That's why we're coming to two more services today, right? Anybody coming to church today to be sanctified by the word? <laughs> two of us? Okay. <laughs> you guys ready to be sanctified by the word today? Y'all ready? When Steve preaches, when Bert preaches tonight, we're coming that the word may sanctify us more today, right? We're not coming here. We're not bystanders. Come on now. We're not observers. We're not spectators. We are coming today to this tabernacle to be sanctified by the word. You say, well, I've already been entirely sanctified. Well, guess what? There's still a lot more of me that needs it, and I'm in process still. So I need more sanctification in my life. And it's the word that does that. But I'll, I'll almost finish with this. Close. I don't think I want to tell you this. Hebrews 4.12 says this. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know what the word does to us? It pierces deep into us and exposes us. Uh, I wasn't sure I should say this, but somebody at Hollow Rock heard me talk about this, and they said, John Juneman preached that you should expose yourself. I'm like, hold on now. <laughs> hold on. That's not what I said. It's the word that exposes us because what happens is the word shines the light on what's happening in me, right? The word exposes what's really happening deep down. It gets deep, it penetrates to the point of what we need in our lives. It's not just a surface job today. We need a deep work in our hearts today, don't we? Jesus exposed what's really going on, exposed my heart, exposed my motives, exposed my, my, exposed my thoughts, exposed my attitudes. Anybody willing to be exposed today by the Holy Spirit? Anybody want to give God permission to say, say, God, don't just go after the dashboard lights today, God. Get down in the mechanicals parts of my heart. Well, God, what do we do about it? Last theme, his power. Aren't you glad this morning it's only Jesus that can do a work in us? I can't fix it. You can't fix it. I think Barney Fife would say none of God's children can fix it. That's why he talks about in, in 178, it is not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. In chapter 2, verse 1, we're back in 2 Timothy. In chapter 2, verse 1, he said, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So do, do you hear in this approach of the kingdom a whole different attitude than what the world's approach is? The world says, No, thank you, God. We'll, we'll take care of this. Just We'll, we'll fix it. We got this. We'll, we'll, we'll repair. We'll get the lights turned off. We'll, we'll keep trucking. We'll, we'll make it all look good. Just follow our plan. No, thank you, God. Do you hear this attitude? Yes, Lord. I need you. Jesus, go deep in my life. And maybe this morning that means a, a sanctified heart. Maybe that means that in my Christian life there's been a little bit of a battle of a kind of a two ways. Like sometimes I'm, yeah, and then sometimes I'm, and I'm kind of back and forth sometimes. And, and that's what we call entire sanctification is he can give me a heart that is all for him. Amen? Do you believe that today? This camp is based on that idea. Remember the chorus, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Anybody know this chorus? I'll say yes, Lord, yes, say it with me. I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me with my 
whole heart, I'll agree, and my answer will be, yes, Lord, yes. We believe God can do that in a person's heart, yes? But we also believe that God can continue to reveal all my attitudes and my thoughts and things in my life that he still needs to keep working on too. And it is a constant attitude that says, oh, Jesus, I need you so much. I am desperate and humble. I am willing for you to just shine light on the things in my life. Lord, please don't just tinker. Please don't just turn off the dashboard lights. Please don't just repair things on the surface. Please, God, go deep within me today and make things what they ought to be. Give me, God, please produce in me a genuine, sanctified life, a life that is a what you see more and more. What you see is what you get. A genuine life that people can look at and see me and say, man, that guy, he's got a long ways to go, but man, I see Jesus at work in him. And man, it's the real thing. It's the real deal in his life. You want that today? Go deeper, God. And I need you for that. I need you. By the way, that's how God's always brought revival in the church, hasn't he? God's always brought revival in camp meetings when people were desperate and humble and on their knees, right? Is that right? God never brought revival through a, no, thank you, God, we got this. God always brings revival with people that are on their knees and saying, oh, God, please bring your light, bring your exposure, bring your power at work in us. That's a courageous thing to do, isn't it? It's courageous. It's a lot easier driving down to Pew's five-star automotive Ten-minute deal, five-minute deal, turn those lights off, keep on trucking. It's an easy thing to come to camp meeting and just um, come in services like we're going to have today, and, and it's great, and, it's, and, and we're blessed, and, and we hear great singing, and we hear great preaching, and we're encouraged and blessed, and, but it's a whole courageous thing this week, isn't it, to say, Lord, I'm inviting you, I'm urging you, I'm asking you to go deeper in my life, right? But I love 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 to close. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's my favorite part. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Isn't there so much grace today for those who are willing to just be desperate and humble before God and let him do a deep work? Anybody willing today? If you're willing today in this service, would you raise your hand with me? You're willing in these services, let God do a deeper work in your life. Jesus, bring your exposure and your light. Bring us to humility on our knees. We, we thank you, God, today for this opportunity that we have before us with two services and a service in the youth tabernacle and children's services and then a whole week ahead of us of services to allow you to do deeper work in us. I pray this, this morning, Lord, if there might be even one that just needs that work of just complete death to self and full surrender in the heart of a yes, Lord, yes, give me a heart that it just with my whole heart will agree. But Lord, I, I pray also for many of us this morning that maybe that surrender has been there, but there are new things you want to show us because there's new things you want to go deeper with You've been kind of signaling it to us. There's been some indicators on our dashboard that there's something going on you want to do. And I thank you this morning for the grace that you who call us are faithful who also will do. I thank you that 
you just ask us to hum, be humble and come as we are. So, Lord, I pray as Steve preaches this morning, as Bert preaches tonight, give us hungry, anxious hearts. We renounce all appearance in the name of Jesus. And we ask this morning for just an openness and honesty to respond to you. Thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. And we will see you back for service in a few minutes.